you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. Uh, as you know, we have been coming through the book of Proverbs here for the last year or so, and uh, we have worked our way up to chapter 16. I think chapter 16 of the book of Proverbs has been uh, one of the most practical chapters for us, uh, even though there's been a lot of great practical principles that we have looked at. But I think last time we were together, probably... Um, you got one of the most practical, usable messages that you'll, you'll, you'll ever get uh, and be able to use. And what we're doing here in this chapter, or what the chapter's doing for us, I should say, is, is contrasting two types of, of people. Uh, in the Bible here, two types of men, two types of Christians, really, for a, our practical application. One who follows God in his word, and we see the end result of his life, and then one who claims to in the chapter here, but just uses God to mask uh, his own agenda of what he wants to do or what he wants to accomplish. Last week, I, if you'll remember, I showed you basically, oh, I don't know, seven or so uh, areas that a child of God should really pay attention to as they grow and mature. We talked about how you should add some things to your faith, that once you get saved, then there's a process of adding things to your faith as you grow. We talked about teaching your mouth uh, what to say. Uh, talked about adding learning to your lips out of Proverbs chapter 16. And I showed you how that, that simply means learning how to speak about the things of God uh, in the correct way. You know, being able to uh, 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 talk to people intelligently about the things of God. And it all comes through a process of your spiritual growth. We talked about how to build a strong uh, spiritual structure in your life. The uh, Bible talks about the bones of a, of a, of a man, uh, the marrow of his bones, uh, and it always uh, illustrates to us the skeleton structure or the strength that holds us up that really gives us substance in our life and a solid foundation of life. You know, when I was a kid, uh, and I think they still have it, I, I haven't checked lately, but when I was a kid growing up, uh, everybody, all the kids wanted to eat their sandwiches when they went to school. We took our own lunches back then, we didn't have cafeterias, but uh, uh, on Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread was the neatest bread on the planet, and I, don't, I think they probably still make it, but the slogan back then, this is back in the late 50s and the early 60s, was that Wonder Bread builds strong bodies 12 ways. And it talked about all the ingredients that it had. And you know, I've often thought about that in a biblical sense. John chapter 6 tells us that the Word of God is the bread of life. And when it comes to the Word of God, uh, the Bible says that uh, it, it, it will build you. And we know that in John chapter 4, the Bible says that salvation is of the Jews. There's 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So just like when you went to the grocery store and you bought the wonder bread that helped build your body 12 ways, you have in your hand God's wonder bread that will build your body's 12 ways. I think it was the night I was gone that John preached on, on the principles of salvation. 12 basic principles in the Bible on salvation. Build your body 12 ways. Letting God establish you and not you or me establishing ourselves. You know, what, and then we looked at one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, I think, that teaches us to be careful in what we allow in our lives. We find it two times in the book of Proverbs, a double warning for us, once in Proverbs 14, 12, and then last week we saw it in Proverbs 16, 25, where it simply says that there is a way that seemeth right unto men, 
but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the reason for that, and I, I gave you uh, last week, is because many times what seems right is not always right. And you have to be able to understand the difference. And by the two, the true test, and we talked about this last week also, was in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, by their fruit you shall know them. We talked about two kinds of fruit. And we laid out that all out. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to the things of life, uh, I, I look for the little things that the Lord Jesus gave to the disciples. I think many times those little one-liners that he gave to them, uh, even though he gave it to help them because of the world they were in. Boy, it really works for me too. And I remember one time in Luke chapter 21, verse 8, he simply said this. He said, take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. Now, I understand the context of that we're talking about. Uh, that's really a tribulation context in the passage there as he's talking about it. But you know, that's a great practical thing for me. You realize that uh, when somebody wants to deceive you, a couple of things happen. When you get deceived, you know what happens? The next thing that happens once you get deceived, you'll get disarmed. And once you get disarmed, it's only a matter of time before you get discouraged. And I've just in my life never allowed anybody to, uh, to, to deceive me. I've, I, I use the principles of the Word of God. I believe what I preach to you. I follow them myself. I understand that the wisdom and understanding of the Bible was given to us to keep us from being deceived because I realize, and I, and I realize, and I've seen it all my life and all my ministry, sometimes what seems right is not always right. And you've got to be able to understand that. And in my life, I will not uh, let that happen. And, uh, you know, I'll stay with the Bible, all of the Bible, as we talked about last week. So, as we move on today, uh, we want to talk about a few other things that go in line with what we're looking at here. Now, obviously, the simple key to our Christian life is to stay focused. That's the number one thing we all need to do. And I know why the Christian life is a list of thousand things. But it all comes down to one little concept, and that is you and me in my life staying focused. Staying focused on the truth of God's Word that I might be able to get the most out of my life for Him. That you might be able to get the most out of your life for Him also. And to do that, we have to be able to see and understand with God's wisdom what is going on around us. What is taking place around us, in your, in your family, in your life, with the people you associate with. And that key to be able to do that is found, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. It's found in the book of Proverbs. It's you getting understanding and wisdom through the Word of God. Now today, we want to look at the next set of verses here. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26 through 28. But I want to add to it the last verse that we looked at last week, 25, because it kind of all goes together. If I would preach all the dimensions of these passages all in one week, we'd be here all day long. So you kind of got to break them down week by week to make sure you squeeze everything out of it that we get what we need. And I want to today look at those verses. And again, we'll continue to look uh, at the contrast of these uh, two men. And we'll have some great practical principles today that, as last week, that we can add uh, to our faith. Now, it says in Proverbs chapter 16, I'm going to go ahead and read 25, so it's in context with what we're talking about. It says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, 
but the end thereof are the ways of death. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. And a godly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. A froward man showeth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friend. Now, there'll be some great practical rules for you and me keeping our focus in these passages, and we want to talk about that. We want to talk about that today. Before we do that, Nathan, would you stand up and God's ask, ask God blessing on my preaching this morning? Now I wanna I wanna do something a little different. I'm always looking for ways to try to get you to remember things. <clears throat> I years ago when I started reading the Bible, especially when I got into the gospels, <clears throat> I found that the Lord Jesus Christ, He always used little things to <clears throat> provoke people to think that they never forget about things. And I think that's a good thing. So <clears throat> I wanna I wanna kind of put this message in a, a little context today that we can have a good time with it, but at the same time that you're going to get the overall point I'm trying to make, and you'll see the importance of what I'm trying to say today. Now, <clears throat> I know there have been parents that have given their kids money <clears throat> to learn the Bible. You know, I, I, I knew a, <clears throat> a, a, a person one time that, that had a, a son or a daughter, I can't remember which it was, and <clears throat> they said, if you memorize all the books of the Bible... I'll give you $100. Well, they did, and they got the $100. But I guarantee you that kid today doesn't remember those books of the Bible. Because when you pay somebody to do something, especially when it comes to the Bible, you got the wrong motive. <clears throat> I've, known, I've known parents that said to your kids, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a good allowance if you get good grades. <clears throat> That's not a good way of handling things. Uh, you, a kid should want to get good grades because of the fact that uh, he recognizes or she recognizes that to really be used of God and to be have an impact in somebody's life, you're going to have to you're going to have to have some kind of intelligence development. It's just that simple. So I don't think that's a good idea. So I'm not suggesting by what I'm doing today that <clears throat> that you should do that. I'm playing a game with you to try to get you to, to think about some things. But I do want to, uh, I do want to, uh, uh, like I said, I do hopefully want to uh, give you a little format that'll, that'll help you remember. Now, I got nine principles in my message today. And these are nine things that I want you to remember. I don't care if you remember the wonderful song I sang a little while ago at their inception of their wedding. I don't, I don't care if you, if you don't forget anything else. I want you to go home today with these nine principles firmly ingrained in your mind. Because well, along with last week, there are incredible principles that will help you. Now, I'm going to tell you now that these nine principles are worth $10 million apiece. You have the potential and the ability today to leave here with 90 million spiritual dollars in your bank account. Now, if somebody gave you 90 million dollars, now here's the point I want to, and I'm going to keep this reinforced all through this. 
If somebody gave you $90 million today, you would be very smart if you would just take it and you would put it in the bank. And you know what? You would never have to work again if you didn't want to. And I'll tell you something else. You make the right investment with that $90 million, you will never not only have to work a day of your life, you will never touch the principle of the $90 million. If you make the right investment and get the right amount of interest off of that much money, that money will do the work for you and you will never have to work again. Now listen to me. If you'll take the spiritual riches that God gives you, if you will take the $90 million I'm going to give you today, add to that in your spiritual bank account, here it comes, you too will never, when it comes to life, you'll never have to work at it again. You'll live off the principles and the interest of what you've stored spiritually in your life. And when it comes to the issues that you're going to face in life, when it comes to the problems you're going to have to deal with in life, instead of you working through it, you just sit back and let your investment and what the interest that you've gained on that do the work for you. That's what the Bible does. The Bible takes, when you apply it in your life, when you look at it as the true riches, I mean, come on, you make an investment, or you should, in your physical financial why? Because you know that long term, you're going to have to fall back on it. Why don't we do that spiritually? I'm going to give you $90 million. And I'm going to tell you each one of these. Here's the first one. Here's your second $90 million or $10 million. Here's your third $10 million. And when you leave here today, you're going to, you should have some money on the account of your life. And I do that because of verse 25 last week, because there is a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, verse 26, as we look at this, will take us even deeper into our uh, investigating into these two, two men. And this will be some great stuff here, $90 million worth in spiritual money, okay? Now, it's always amazed me with God's people. And I've seen this all my life and all of my ministry. Uh, people who read the Bible, who study the Bible, people who actually claim to know the Bible and probably do to some degree. Yet when they're faced with something that they want to do, that clearly is against the principles of the Word of God. They'll just turn and walk away and leave the principles that yesterday were the very principles that they claim to believe. Now, last week, I told you this, and we have not even get, got into the million, 10 millions yet. This is just chump change I'm giving you right now. One time when I was in the Army, I'm embarrassed to say this, once they found out I played the trumpet, I got to do all the military funerals. And I traveled all over to New England. And I, went with a, and I went with a bunch of guys one time, and they were, the, they, were the, they were the meanest guys you ever met in your life. And afterwards, we went, as always, the, 
the American Legion always had all of, over, you know, and it was free booze for everybody. Well, there was no American Legion in this town, so they found a bar restaurant, and everybody went there. We had the rifle squad, we had the pallbearers, we had a, a lieutenant who was in charge, and he wasn't worth anything. And these guys were the roughest guys, all paratroopers, we were all the roughest guys here on the planet. And so we're sitting in there, and I'll never forget this. <coughs> the wait, wait, waitress comes up. <coughs> And she takes the orders. And these guys, these guys, they, they have no, I mean, they're animals. I don't even know what to tell you. And after the time go on, they had some more beer. And I didn't drink. So I was, I was always the designated driver to get us home. We wound up in Turkey someplace. While the drinks were flowing and they were drinking, you know, and some of the old guys come over and was buying everybody drinks, you know. One of the guys got fresh with the waitress. And she hauled off and slapped him. He stood up and hit her, knocked her over the table. She had, she had all of her tips that she was getting from all the different people. She had them in, you know, one of those little bags that they wear, and it, money went everywhere. Now, and I'm looking and going to go help the girl. These guys, a grown combat soldiers, all CIBs, every one of them, all adults, Instead of getting on the guy who did that and helping up the lady, they're scrambling all over the floor picking up the money. You know what you ought to be doing today? With the tidbits that I'm going to throw out before I even get to the 90 million? You ought to be scrambling on the floor picking up the tidbits. You ought to be like those guys. You ought to be pocketing every piece of change that falls out of my mouth out of that book. Because to them it was beer money. To you it's the investment of your life. To put it on the account of your heart with God. And so, I'm going to give you nine things, but there's going to be a lot of other change falling on the ground. And I want to see some people scurrying. Because you pick it up. You know what, Samuel? You know what was the key to Samuel's success with God? It's back there in 1 Samuel 3. At the end of that chapter, when it's talking about how Samuel grew and everybody knew that he was established as the prophet in Israel, you know what it says? It says, and Samuel let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel was like one of those unsaved soldiers getting that chain that hit the floor. When you really want the Bible and you really want the Word of God, nothing hits the floor. This will be some good stuff. You know, last week we talked about loving the Word of God is, is, is taking and applying and submitting yourself to all of the Word of God. And we have a tendency, all of us, to want to pick and choose what we want to do. I've seen men and women, girls and guys, I've seen them come, I've seen them get discipled over the years, not only here, but all through my ministry. They begin to grow, they seem to, they get involved, they, they learn the truth, they hear the truth. Uh, they put notes in their Bible, oh, except this person in here. Oh, it's God. It's God. Well, I'm glad that you got your Bible. Along with them, we sell some of the greatest Bible writing pens you ever saw in your life in the bookstore. They put notes in their Bible. They hear all the same stuff that you do. 
and I get it. They, they want to have a relationship. Every single girl wants to get married. Every single guy wants to get married. Well, I get it. And then they've heard all the examples. They've been to all the studies. They've looked at all the verses, all the chapters. All the right ways to find a spot. They've been through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They understand Genesis chapter 24. They've been through 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 in those verses. And, and how many times, in many cases, they've already had a bad relationship doing it their way. How many times that they, they, they had one marriage fail or two marriages fail by going their own way? Sometimes they've, they've had kids and they've never been married. And so the kids got to get raised up in a bad scenario without a solid father-mother relationship. They have been through those things. You'd, you'd think, or at least you would hope that they would learn, that that way of life is a dead-end street. But in time, and we've all seen it, I've seen it more times than I want to admit, but in time they'll go right back to the old relationship format and just walk away from the clear truth right back into a mess. I've seen it all of my life, and I've never really understood it. I mean, I do, but it puzzles me. Along with that, I've seen God's people. Uh, I've seen them want what they want so badly that they didn't even care if God was in it or not. I was having a, a, a revival down in Alabama years ago, and the people were so into the Word of God that they wanted to have a Bible study afterwards. And so I preached for an hour and 15 minutes and then had a two-hour Bible study after that. And a place was packed. Somebody asked me a question, and I forget where it was, and I answered it. And there was an educated college, Bible college guy in the, in the deal. He took issue with what I said. And so for the next 45 minutes, I just went through the scriptures. And he didn't have any place to go. And he made one of the greatest statements that I've ever heard a man make that proves my point. He looked at his friend after getting his rear end kicked for about 40 minutes. He looked at his friend and he said, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. And I thought to myself, that's it right there. You want to believe something. You want to do something so badly that you just don't care what the Bible says about it. They, we rationalize our situations. We think, I, I'll tell you what our problem is. Every one of us have a tendency, and we all have to watch this. Every one of us have the tendency to think that we're the exception to the rule. Amen. And off they go. And, and here's the funny thing. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Just look in the mirror. <laughs> they're not satisfied with where they're at. Or what God has given them. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6. This is not. This is chump change again. Get on the floor and get it. Says that godliness with content is great gain. They're not satisfied with. So they think. That they'll get what they. If they get what they want. That will satisfy them. And when they do it doesn't. They're still not happy. They're still not satisfied. And it just never works out. The way you think it should when you try to work it out around the Word of God instead of through the Word of God. Right. Hey, I got a headline for you. It will never work out right when you plan it. And here's why. Here's the verse. 
And we're not there yet. Here's the verse. This verse shows us great insight into what I just showed you and why it will never work out for you or for me, no matter how we try to rationalize or justify it. Verse 26 says simply this, He that laboreth, laboreth for himself. You're not doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it his way. You're doing it your way. And the Bible says in Psalms 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You see, you, we just bring God into it with our lips and our mouth so we can convince either ourselves or somebody else that we're really legitimate. And I'm going to tell you, learn this truth. There are people who only view what they do for God as to what they can get out of it for themselves. That's a sad thing to say about God's people, but it's absolutely true. And I'm speaking to them if they're listening on the Skype today or wherever or, or here, even here today. Your ministry, your life is not about what God wants. We, you have manipulated the verses, you have manipulated the principles, you've cut up the teaching, you've taken what you want and left the rest so we could just do whatever we wanted to do. And then we give God the glory for it. I talked about people ministry. One of the things that we've done, and I told you this last week, and I'm looking for a bumper crop this year. We're going to, we're where we're at. We got the people in the right place. We're going to go over the top of this thing this year. But we came through, and I brought them from Genesis all the way up where we're at in Second Chronicles or First Chronicles, and I showed them the examples in the Bible. And this example of this is found over there in Genesis chapter 27 with Jacob, who deceived his father Esau, or his father Isaac over Esau to get the blessing. And you know the story, and it's a classic model of what we do when we want what we want the way we want it, and we don't want to do it God's way. He wants the blessing. He wants the birthright. You know what the irony is of that story? He would have gotten it anyhow. But oh, no, no. It's a picture of you and me. We don't want to wait on God because we want it our way. So him and his mama, they concoct this story. And she says, you know what? Put on this goat skin because your brother's a hairy man. Your daddy likes the venison that he gets. I'm such a good cook. I'll take, I'll take goat meat and I'll make it taste like venison. And while your brother is out there, trying to get a deer, you'll bring it in to him, deceive him, tell him that you're Esau, don't let him know that you're Jacob, and Jacob means schemer, by the way, and you can scheme around the whole thing, and you can short-circuit everything, get the blessing and the birthright by deception, and I'll show you how to do it. Now, a deception is a bad thing. I don't like deceptive people. Either do you, probably. But it's even worse when you bring God into your deception. 
But you know as a Christian for you to pull off your deception based on Proverbs 16, that's what you got to do. You ever see our story? Here it is. Here's Jacob putting on a goat skin or whatever it was, all wool and hairy. His mama comes in. She made this stuff, put in enough spices to make this goat meat taste like venison. So he comes in, says, Daddy, Daddy, I, 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 I've got some, I got some of that venison. You're like, Daddy. And he says, well, well, who are you? She said, Daddy, I'm, I'm Esau. And, and Daddy, he's not, he's not sure. And he basically says, see, Daddy, feel me. I'm how hairy I am. It's Esau, your son, and I brought you some of your favorite food, venison. That was a lie. One, it wasn't Esau. Two, it wasn't venison. But it gets better because you've got to bring God into it as a Christian when you want to throw out a deception to make it look legit because most of God's people, don't take this wrong, are so stupid they don't have understanding and wisdom to understand when it's a deception. So, he comes in there. Now, the old man isn't quite sure. The old man, he says, Well, son, that's wonderful, but I got a question. You just left about 30, 40 minutes ago. How did you find that deer so quickly? You know what he says? Daddy, Praise the Lord. God brought that deer right to me. Daddy, I don't know what to tell you. God is so good. God is so great. Well, Daddy, I was in that. I, I didn't even get to the deer stand, Daddy. That deer came up and stood up and said, shoot me right here. You see what he had to do to pull off the deception? He had to put God in it. And you know what? I've, I've known people that thought because they put church over their name that it was a good place. I've had people that, as long as the word Christian is associated with it, it's got to be okay. <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you something. Some of the greatest deceptions I ever saw in my life or ever had to deal with would just have Bible verses all through them. Because that's what people do. As a Christian, you can't pull off a deception without putting God into it. You know why? Because if you don't, everybody knows it's a deception. You know, there's no such things as magicians. It's all sleight of hand. I, I would love to do magic and be a magician. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I go down to the plaza sometimes, and there's that big heavy guy with a weird clown suit with the big turned up shoes. He's a great, he's a great boy. He can do those things. He'll take there and he'll pull things out of your ear. On the other hand, he's pulling your wallet out. You know, and, I, and, he, and, and I look at that and I thought, but you know what? It, it looks like it's magic, but it's not. What they do is they get you looking at this so you don't see what they're doing here. And you think it's magic, but it's nothing but misdirection. And when a Christian wants to pull off a deception, he'll bring God in it to get you to look over here so you don't see what he's doing over here. Now, that's wisdom and understanding based on the Word of God through the principle. That's why I'm teaching you people these things in people ministry. You have to learn them. You have to learn them. Hey, I've seen this all my life 
with, with pastors and churches and Christians. This is why people today don't trust churches and don't trust pastors. They're not even good magicians. They have lost all the vision of God in their life and, and, and their true calling to invest in people one-on-one. As I said last week in Proverbs 31, planting a vineyard one tree at a time. Now, here comes your first $10 million. So, yeah, oh, here we go. I don't know why you're moving now. You should have been all over the floor picking up all this loose change that is knocked out of this Bible. Instead, the vision becomes their own delusion of grandeur, of building their dream, whatever that may be, a monument to them. Now, here it comes. Here's your first $10 million. Instead of teaching and training the people... And sending them out to the world system to reach them for Christ. Here's what they do. They'll turn their own churches into a world system. And then enslave the people to pay for it. You've got that going on all around this world. Now here's your second 10 million. These two are close together. They go together. But I, I want to give you a lot of money today. So I'm, I'm splitting them up. Now here's another one. Here's your second 10 million. This will be 20 million so far. Never forget this. You build buildings. Listen to me. You build buildings to the glory of man. You build people to the glory of God. And that's the way it works. When we were home in Canton last week, I don't know if you know this, but Canton, Ohio was the birthplace of, of William McKinley, the 25th president of the United States. And he was through his first term and uh, just like a year or so into his second term. And he went to the New York State Fair. I think it was in Buffalo in 1901. And he was assassinated. As any hometown, uh, he was the hometown child. They built a humongous monument to him. And it's got his library right there. And you could be driving down the freeway and, and look over there. And sticking up out of those trees is the dome of that humongous great monument. In fact, we were coming up from someplace down south and, and uh, Danny and Jamie were riding with Sweetie and Benny, Barb's sister down there and coming up there and you could see it coming through the trees and Benny, he's always the tour guide, you know. He's saying, now there's, because my kids had never really seen it before. He's pointing out over there and say, there's, there's McKinley's monument. Jamie says, wow, does he still live there? Yeah, he still lives there. <clears throat> so we went over there a couple of days later, and I went out up the step. He got about 500 steps to go up, and I'm banging on the door to see if he's still there. <laughs> there he was. You build buildings to the glory of man, and a lot of churches today are like McKinley's Monument. When you go into McKinley's Monument, or any Monument, You know, I don't know why this is. They build them so everything you can say, Drake, how are you? And it echoes through the whole thing. It's, it's, it's sound design. So everybody wants to be respectful. So everybody whispers. And, they, you know, they close the door. It sounds like, you know, somebody just fell off a, a 20-story building. Everything, everything is amplified. So you're, you, it's, it's almost like this is the place of burial. This is a memorial. Let's be quiet. Why? He's not going to care. But it echoes. I think that's good. Hello, hello, hello. 
You know how many times you get John 3.16 out and it plays it echoes? <laughs> but you know that's the way. It's a monument. And people are respectful because they're dead people there, so they want to be quiet. So when you go to these great churches that are monuments, nothing but dead people there. Everybody talks holy, everybody talks quiet, everybody talks the right talk, but it's filled with dead people. You know what I love about you here? You're alive. You laugh. You have fun. We laugh at ourselves. Nobody gets too uptight about it. We make jokes in front of ourselves. Somebody says something to somebody and we just laugh about it. Nobody takes it personal. We have fun. You know why? Because that's what God's house is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we laugh, we cry, we, we praise the Lord, we excite, we love each other. Somebody gets married or gets engaged, we're happy. Somebody dies, we're sad with you. And everywhere in between, we laugh, we have fun things, we do goofy things, and we enjoy each other. That's life! I, I told you last week, I learned it many, many years ago, two kinds of churches. A work of God that is for God's glory, where the emphasis is on people. And a work for God, where is to man's glory, and the emphasis is on things. Now look at the last part of verse 26. The first part says, he that laboreth, laboreth for himself. But then it says, for his mouth craveth it of him. Now, that's an incredible choice of words. I love I loved looking at words in the Bible the way they're used. I've learned some of the greatest principles of life from the Bible by just looking how the Holy Spirit of God uses words. And that's an incredible choice of words because it forces us to stop and think about what is your craving for today? Is your craving for the things of God that God puts you in? Or is your craving for the things of yourself that you put God in? The craving of the mouth. That's appetite. Either developing an appetite for the things of God or developing an appetite for the things of the world or the things that you want. What do you like to eat? I love to eat. My favorite verse is back there in, I think it's in 1 Kings with Elisha, where the angel says, Elisha, rise and eat. I'm in. I, 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 I just, I mean, I, I, I like, but I like to know what I'm eating ahead of time. We have a party, somebody's having a party, or we're having a get-together, or marriages, you know, and they always have a marriage dinner there, and, and, I'll, and I'll ask, what are we having to eat? I'm not doing that to be rude. My wife thinks I'm rude by doing that. But I don't don't do that to be rude. Honestly, I don't. I do that because I like to eat, and I like to think about all day long what I'm going to have that night. (laughs) I crave some things. Man, out there at the few yesterday, those hot dogs were absolutely great. Those hamburgers were great. There's nothing better than a good hot dog on a grill or a hamburger on a grill. I like going over to Bob and Lorinda. Lorinda's a great cook. And Lorinda never gets mad. She'll say, we're having a get-together. I want you to come over. Lorinda, do I always ask you what we're having? She doesn't get mad. And she'd say, we're having spaghetti. Oh, I love her spaghetti. I can only eat spaghetti once a year because of my health issues. 
So I eat it once a year, but when I eat it, I get it all over my face. Oh, I eat it. I carry it with me for a week. She makes the best spaghetti on the planet. And I'll, she'll say, well, I'm having spaghetti. You know what sometimes she does? She says, what do you, would you want me to do? Oh. <laughs> I'll think about that all day long. Somebody will call me on the phone and say, I'm leaving the church. I'm mad. I don't care. I'm having Lorinda's spaghetti tonight. See you later. What do you like to eat? What's your appetite for? Norbert's a great cook. We got some great men that can cook in our church. You know that? Norbert's a great cook. I mean, tell you what, his chili, it'll give you so much gas, the Arabs will be following you around all day long. But I'll tell you what, he's a great cook. Steve Brackeen's a great cook. Steve Brackeen can take, he takes a dead squirrel out of a tree, skins it, Wraps it up in tin foils, sticks it with barbecue sauce, throws it in the fire for two or three hours, pulls it out. You think you're at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> I like to eat. I like I like wings. I like bean dip. I like baked beans. Barbecue chicken. I crave some things when it comes to eating. And you know what? In life, in a spiritual sense, you, there's some things you ought to have an appetite for and you ought to crave. You ought to crave the things of God over the things of the world. Bible talks about being a hungry soul, having a hungry soul. Man, I mean, when you fall in love with God and the Word of God, that's what you ought to have. You have a hungry soul. I was kidding you this morning about telling about the story about those guys that hit that lady and all the chain went on the ground. But they were hungry for money. And when you're hungry for the Word of God, not one word of it drops to the ground. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. And, and you know, when it comes to the world, the appetite that we develop, and it comes to the Word of God and the appetite we develop, you know in both cases, it's not natural. God's original purpose for, was for man and God's creating him was for man to have perfect fellowship with God. But you know what? You don't just wake up some morning and love the things of God. You realize you've got to develop an, an appetite for God's things. But at the same time, you know what? Some of you guys used to drink booze. Some of you guys probably still do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You know what? Now, you know this is true. I, I've never been a drinker. I, I, I just never did. When I was in the Army, I, I, I used to go, they used to go up to the PX and all the guys would drink beer. I went along and I wanted to be one of the guys, but I, I never drank. I was the only guy that could buy one beer and make it last for three days. <laughs> I'd walk around and put it back in. God, it tastes terrible. Somebody say, you need another one, Bob? No, I'm good. Well, you had that? No, this is my, this is my third one. Well, you're still on your feet. Yeah, I can handle my liquor. I'd go to the restroom, pour a little bit out, come back. Yeah, I need another one. Oh, that's good. You know what? You know this is true. You know it's true. Those of you that like to drink beer, you know, beer is, 
is the worst tasting stuff you ever tasted in your life, first time you taste it. And some of you guys down the line, or gals too, you really like it after 10 or 20 years of it. But you know what? You had to develop a taste for it. The first time you took, first time you took a big old shot of vodka or, or whiskey, <laughs> your body was telling you, this does not fit in here. Your lungs were on fire. Your kidneys were on fire. Your belly was on fire. Your throat was on fire. Your eyes watered. And everybody else is standing around saying, what's wrong with you? Glug, 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 glug. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. They develop a taste for it. The first time you put that godless stuff in your body, your body told you it was not made for this. You had to work at it. You had to develop a taste for it. You think these guys that can drink up there and all this stuff and he's binge drinking all that binge drinking and all this stuff that they drink and all the stuff that they put in there and some of the stuff that they get. I'm going to tell you something. It didn't start out that way. If they would have spent as many years and months developing an appetite for the things of God as they did for the booze, they'd turn the world upside down. You know... I've never been a smoker. But it's the same thing. Everybody I hung out with in the army smoked. So you had to pretend you did. I got to be honest with you. This is confession time. I got to tell you, way back in the day, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to take in smoke and then blow it out your nose. Ah, that was neat. That was almost as neat to me as a car alongside the road not starting, and a guy pull up, and there's a little girl there saying, my car won't start. He looks up in the hood, and he says, got a screwdriver? She hands him a screwdriver. He sticks it down inside there and says, try it now, hon. <laughs> Off she goes. God, I love that. <laughs> to me, that's power. <laughs> I wouldn't confess this to anybody. I tried that one time in my driveway. I burnt the end of that screwdriver off, burnt my elbow with my elbows. I'll tell you what, never, but there's a way you do it. I never figured it out, but I, I, I'm in envy of you guys who can do that. Oh, I love it too. Try it now. <laughs> All right, darling, it's running. And I watch those guys. thinking oh man that's cool stuff let me tell you something I tr I my first cigarette I didn't want to embarrass myself because it ain't like beer you can't dub a cigarette down the toilet you got it it's there burning man so I, I got one of them on my own got behind the barracks one time I thought you just took it in and it just came out I died I was on my knees gagging I'm just glad everybody else was someplace else and didn't see it I mean, I took that th big one, man. You know, I mean, if I'm going to do it, out the door, man. And I just. <laughs> it didn't come out my nose. <laughs> that was 40 years ago. I ain't seen it since. <laughs> Don't you know, the first time you did that, your body said, hey. God didn't, the only people God ever intended to have smoke in their lungs were people in hell. Amen. You got to work at that. I tried everything. I, I tried this. 
and then blow it out slow, but also blow it out through your nose like it's coming up. I choked on doing that. When it comes to the things of the world, you have to work at it. It's not natural for you. Because God originally created you to have fellowship with him. And that's not natural either. That's something you got to work out. You know the grossest thing on the planet to me? And I've never tried this. Never would. Is that stuff they put in there. I know. See, lady, how'd you like to go home from a date and have a guy kiss you goodnight? You coming up? I think his, inside of his mouth just came into mine. And the, and the big cool thing is. That can right there, see? <laughs> well, you work your jeans when you wash it with an empty can in, so you get a, get a kind of a mark around there so everybody knows. Oh, he's got one of them cans. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're out there, you know, you see him. <laughs> what good is that? <laughs> you, you put that godless stuff in your... Hey, I have watched and studied this for years. I followed these people around. When they spit it out, do you realize that when you put that stuff in your mouth, when you're done with it and you spit it out, do you understand that flies will not land on that? Okay. Have you ever seen what flies do land on? Now, when it comes to the Bible, you have to develop a taste for it. It's not natural. That's why people say, ah, the Bible, yeah, it's so boring. Sure it is. Because you don't have to develop a taste for it. Well, you know, that the Bible's so dry, I start to read it and fall asleep. Sure you do. You have no taste for it. Well, you know, all those these and thous, you know, I just, yeah, Sure. You never developed, I had a guy one time, he said, well, I, that Bible, you know, I just, it's so archaic and out of touch with time. I said, what are you talking about? Well, he said, my wife was reading it the other day, and she asked me a question. She was reading back in the Old Testament, and she said, it, 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 it said in there that this person was, was to tell the number. And she said, she, she asked me what that meant. I said, I don't know. And I said, well, it means to count the number. In the old English phrase, to tell the number was to count the number, count it up. He says, well, see, that is so out of touch with time. I said, oh, really? I says, oh, you got a sister, don't you? I said, yeah. I said, oh, where does she work? She worked down here at First National Bank. I said, what does she do? She's a teller. You see, it's archaic when it's in the Bible, but when you go to the bank, you go to a bank teller. You know what a bank teller does? Thank you very much. People are nuts. You know what the problem is? They're not bad people. They just never developed an appetite for the things of God. You got to work at it. Over there, John chapter 2, a great picture of what's coming. Where Jesus turned the water to wine, where every wino and everybody wants to justify drinking says, well, you see there, Jesus turned the water to wine. When you read the chapter, you realize that when the guy in the wedding drank that wine, he said, man, everybody else 
puts out the good wine first, and then as your taste buds and you get a little wacky, they put out the old wine. You got the greatest wine. I've never tasted anything like this. You know what Jesus did? That's John chapter 2 at the end of third, uh, the third day. That's a picture of the second coming of Christ. That wedding there is a picture of the wedding, marriage supper of the Lamb, and the wedding feast. He gave them a supernatural taste of the wine that you and I are going to drink in that day. And the guy said, I've never tasted anything like this. No, and I'll tell you something else. Most of you have never tasted anything like this either, brother. Amen. Amen. Get your foot off my foot. <laughs> Great stuff. That Bible's like an apples in seven Proverbs chapter 7. You know what? When I was a kid, we used to jump the fence and steal apples. You don't have to steal these apples, and they're the greatest things on the planet. Psalm 119 said the Bible's like honey. You don't have to get stung by the bees or wear a special suit to get it. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, it's like me. You don't have to be like Jacob and go out and, and faint it. It's right there. Doctrine. Luke 4, 4, it's like in the bread. 1 Peter 2, it's like in the milk. John chapter 4, it's like in the water. Uh, Psalm chapter 7, it's like in the vegetables. And you know, God knows that we like to eat. So the focus of the rapture is a marriage and then a banquet. Amen. Ladies, you know what heaven is to you? Heaven is a place where you can eat whatever you want, as much as you want, and never gain a pound. No big boned angels in heaven. You know, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 9 says, it says that his thoughts are not your thoughts and his ways are higher than your ways. You got to work at learning how to enjoy this book. That's what's wrong with you. You don't enjoy it because you never worked at it. You never developed the taste. But oh boy, you got a good taste of the world in your mouth. You see, salvation is simply this. It's not complicated. When you get saved, it takes a while. Discipleship one, discipleship two, the prayer group, coming and going, getting out of the world, leaving them all, coming here, getting involved, getting into it. And you only get out of something what you put into it. But what you're doing is you're getting the taste of the world out of your mouth. That's real simple. Today, which one do you crave? What's your appetite for? In either case, you have to work at developing of a taste for them. And honestly, when you get a taste of the heavenly word of God, the manna from heaven, you'll never go back to the crap of this old world again. You say you shouldn't use the word crap. It's better than the word that I wanted to use. Amen. You see, your labor has been for yourself. And now because we have picked and chosen out of the Bible what we want, We've developed the wrong appetite. And oh, we want to eat the manner of heaven. But we want a couple of side dishes from the filth of this old world. So many of God's people like the early Gnostics of the second and third century. They took the word of God and added their Greek and Roman philosophy, what they believed. To add it to the Word of God and wound up destroying the Word of God. They wanted to make the Bible say what they really believed while still maintaining the integrity of the Bible. God's people do the same thing today. They just add to it and cut out what they don't fit, what they don't like, and don't fit their own personal agenda of being a Christian. It's the same exact thing. Now look at verse 27 here. 
An ungodly man diggeth up evil. And in his lips there is a burning fire. Now the verse has been used to preach against smoking many, many times over the years. You know, burning fire on a man's lips, all that stuff. But in reality, it's in the context here, it's talking about what comes out of a man's mouth when he won't get the God's wisdom and God's understanding in time. The fire being problems. I, I, I like the word diggeth. There's another one of them words. Diggeth up evil. Boy, we sure do. You know, it's like a dog. Men are like the dogs in the Bible. I save people. You ever let a dog in the backyard? He just digs holes everywhere. I tried to be nice on a nice day one time and, and put my two labs out in the backyard. Thought they'd just walk around and have a good time and enjoy the sun. I'm in there watching television. Next thing you know, the TV goes off. <laughs> I walk around the back. They're sitting there. I know something's up. Dirt all over their face gives a first indication. I walk up there and I said to Buddy, what are you, dirt all over his paws? And I walk around and hold that, that, that cable, television cable is buried 12 inches down. How he knew it was down there, I don't know. He dug that thing out, chewed that cable in half. Got him in trouble just like digging a hole in life will get you in trouble. You know, you dig something, it's never a good connotation about it. You dig something out of the ground, earth, the world. Amos 9, 12, 2 says somebody dug themselves into hell. Proverbs 26, 27 says somebody dug a pit and somebody fell in it. Exodus chapter 21 and Job chapter 3 talk about uh, uh, digging a pit and finding death. Job chapter 6 says uh, you dig a pit uh, for your friends when you want to deceive them. And when it comes to the Bible, I want you to know this. And I know how we use words. But when it comes to the Bible, from a Bible standpoint, in a biblical sense, you never dig for anything in the Bible. Now, here's your next $10 million. You seek and you search the Scriptures. You pray over them. You study them. But you never dig anything out of the Bible. You know why? Because it's laying all around you. In, Luke, in, in Exodus chapter 16, when God brought the manna to the nation of Israel, a type of the word of God, while they were sleeping, the Bible says it rained down like the hoarfrost and was all over the ground. And in the morning when they woke up, they put the tent flap back right where they were. They didn't have to dig for anything. Right there all around them was the manna from heaven. All they had to do was pick it up. And when God gave you that book, he brought it right to where you are. He put it right in your lap. You don't have to dig a thing. It's right on the surface like walking into a gold field where all the gold is on top. All you have to do is pick it up. Now here's your third million, ten million. This is the greatest verse in the Bible. Bar none. The greatest verse on the Bible of how you're going to learn that book if you're going to get it. Luke chapter 24, verse 45. It simply says this. Then, he, then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. Let me tell you something. Unless God opens up your understanding, you're never going to get a thing out of that book. You'll dig and you'll dig and you'll dig in the Greek. You'll dig in the Hebrew. You'll dig everywhere there is to go until God opens up your understanding. You'll never get a thing out of that book. 
He has to be the author of your understanding, and you have to get it his way, not your way. You have to come to that book as it is, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you to believe. It's just that simple. When a man picks and chooses what he'll take out of the Bible, the man in our context here, it will cause two things to happen. Now here's your fourth. Ten million dollars, we're up to 40 million. You want to remember this. When a man or a woman, anybody, wants to pick and choose out of the book what they want to do and don't want to develop the right aptitude, attitude, to, aptitude, attitude and appetite for the Word of God, two things will happen. First of all, he, the man, he has to pretend not to see the truth. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who just, just got, I'm talking about somebody who's been around for a while, who's been in the Bible, who wants to do what they want to do and justify it. And when they step outside the Word of God, that person has to pretend not to see the truth. He's probably heard it preached a hundred times in his life, but now he pretends not to see it. That should bother you. Here's the second thing. When people follow him and his ways, they too will have to pretend that he's okay and go along with the Bible he rejects. That should really bother you. And I've seen it time and time again. People who pick and choose what they hold and will gather others around them to do the same thing. And what a mess you have. Now look at verse 28. Last verse here. And boy, a good one. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Now the word froward here is a, another great word. It's an old English word. It, it comes out of Saxon uh, origin, the old Saxon, Anglo-Saxon concept. And it means not to follow the right way. Uh, we have the word forward, which means we go forward. This word is froward, for. Going this way, fro, from. In other words, somebody who is froward is going the wrong way. Going from the right way. Going the wrong way. Going against the established principles of the Word of God in our text here. Remember, what seems right is not always right. Now here comes our fifth, $10 million. Bring up the 50. You have a great principle here. And you never want to forget this one. When God does something... Listen to me. When God does something, when God legitimately does something, it's never done in secret. Let that soak in for a minute. When God does something and he's the author of something, it's never done in secret. It's never done behind closed doors. It's never done behind someone's back. It's never a secret plan that you or a couple of people put together and then tell everybody what God is doing. Acts chapter 26, verse 26, when Paul was before King Agrippa and Festus, he's defending what he believes. You know what he said about the gospel? He says, King Agrippa, he says, you've heard me talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard me talk about the gospel. I've preached it all my life. Is this some secret thing to you, King Agrippa? You know it's not. This thing was not done in a corner. Everybody knew about it. 
And the most greatest principle you'll ever learn is when God is in something, God never does it secretly. He never gets a little group together to make it happen. Here's your sixth million. Up to 69. In other words, when God truly moves and does something, it will never cause strife within the body of Christ. You see that? When God does it, He does it right. He does it openly. He does it simply because that's how God works, always through the body of Christ, never behind the body of Christ, never around the body of Christ. He always does what he does through the body of Christ. It's never a secret plan. It's never a secret little thing that comes to light. It's never somebody coming to the place where they, 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 they do it behind closed doors. God does what he does through the body, and it never causes strife. It's man when he wants to pretend he's right and goes about it in a froward way that causes strife. When God does something, it's not done by man's doing. It's done by God's doing. God establishes somebody and then works through what that man has done, but never works through the man himself. Always through what he does. I was putting this message together this week. And I, 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 I was thinking of so many of you. But I couldn't stand up here and have a list of 50 people. So I, I thought about it and I, I came to the conclusion of using the example of one guy who really represents so many of you. But this guy, everybody will totally understand and agree in a heartbeat. And I don't say this to glorify him. But he represents so many of you. And I don't want you to miss my point because I'm making a point here. And the guy I thought about this week that really represents so many of you is old Gary Potter. Gary, just like so many of you, is an unsung hero of this church. He has a full-time job. And yet I don't ever know of a time that he's not doing something for somebody. He side buys and sells old cars, new cars, whatever cars. He's in whatever car business deal. He travels all over the place. So he's got all the vehicles for towing cars, picking up cars. He's got one of them flat back, break back, broke back, whatever they call them. He, pull the car up on it. You're out on some place at 3 o'clock in the morning and your car breaks down, you can call Gary. Uh, Gary, there's never been a time when Gary said, I can't do it. I, I, I just, I, I've never seen a time when he, he, he your car breaks down 3 o'clock, call Gary. Restart food, got to get down, call Gary. He goes to hy V at 4 o'clock in the morning to beat the other people there so they come and take our food. Now, you know what I do? Let them take the food. I go buy two packs of Twinkies and tell the preacher this is all they had. <clears throat> He'll get up at four o'clock in the morning, go to restart, or go to a high V down here on Northern Road, get the stuff before the other churches come in and steal our stuff. <laughs> What's that all about? I know where you're from. He used to go to Panera 
When Panera donated their stuff, two Paneras, one on Saturday. What do you do every Saturday night at 9 o'clock? How would you like to be go to Panera to load up your stuff with bakery stuff? And then on Wednesday night at 9 o'clock, have to go to the other Panera. Every time, every week, you got to be there. Call Gary. His favorite phrase is, I got it covered. The skeet shoot yesterday. He had to leave town. I said, Gary, I'm going to work with the gals. We're going to kind of get it. I said, what? I got it covered. I got it covered. He takes some of you young guys and, and mentors you and shows you how to hunt and how to shoot. Takes you out and do what you like to do. And you know what? You never know that he's even here. He kind of just moves between the raindrops. He's what every pastor, and I've got so many of you like that. And I said, I'm not just picking on him. I'm using him to illustrate a point about so many of you. He's my go-to guy. And so many of you are. But don't miss my point. I didn't say all that to puff him up. Because he represents so many of you. But here's where I'm confused. I, I, I can't ever remember giving him that job. I can't ever remember sitting down with him, Gary, I want you to do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. I don't ever remember him coming in and sitting down with me and saying, Bob, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. God just raised him up in the midst of this body. He looked around, and when you had a need, he put what he had to do aside you call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll give you the number for AAA. <laughs> you call him, he says, I'm on my way. And you're sitting out there in the middle of the night, nowhere, and you're nervous, and all of a sudden you see this big thing coming down the road. It's Gary. But I don't ever remember him coming in and making an appointment and saying, Bob, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I'm going to do this. God just raised him up in our midst, and he responded to what he saw. He, he bought into what we're doing. He saw you, all of you, not as just church people, but that the people that he loves. Sounds like so many of you do. And he looked around and he saw a need and he said to himself, he never came to me. It would have spoiled it if he would have come to me. He just... Got up one morning through the process of his own spiritual growth, look around him, and he said, you know what? This needs to be done. I'm going to do it. And I woke up one morning, and bang, there he was. I'm sitting there scratching my head saying, when did, when, who told him that? I watch some of you up in Lincoln, or some of you when you do your stuff here, or you'll go up to Lincoln. You know, Bob was up to Lincoln here for some other thing totally related, and an and opportunity opened up. He just saw the need and walked into it. Being able to being able to see around you, you know, kids. There's some things I can't teach you about ministry. Do you know that? There's some things that I can't get from me into you. Oh, I can do some things and do some, but there's some things about the ministry and serving God and loving people and putting your life with them that I simply can't give you. 
God's got to give you that. But you don't get that by picking and choosing what and who you want to be friends with. You don't get that by picking and choosing what you want to take out of the Word of God. You just simply say, God, here I am. I'm I'm, I'm so stupid. I don't know anything. I'm so dumb. I don't even suspect anything. I just take me and use me. And then you just go to work. And you know what happens? Without God putting a spotlight on you walking into church. (laughs) Through the dirty little things that nobody else wants to do. God said, if you're faithful in the little things, I'll make you rule over many things. And there you are. There he is. There you are. There you are. There you are. There you are. Woke up some morning, there you are. I say, what's going on? Well, Bob, we decided to do this because this was going this way. Oh, okay, good. Good. Good deal. You grew up in this body. And through this body, God taught you what I could not teach you. The love for the person sitting next to you and extending yourself to them to say, you know what, you need something? Here I am. I'm telling you. When God is in something, here's your next seven million, seventy million. When God is in something, when God is in something, you don't make it happen. God makes it happen. And he doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't prepare the road for the great Bob Alexander. He doesn't put out press releases ahead of time. You just go in there, boy, and go to work and put your nose to the grindstone and do the work of God. And one day you wake up and, boy, God's got you right in the middle of what God wants you to do. And everybody around you knows you've been established. That's how he does it. Here's your eighth 10 million. Last part of the verse. First part says, the last part says, a whisper separateth chief friends. Now this is a great one here. Because I want to tell you something and I want you to learn this. Because when you see it, I want you to know it isn't real. When God is in something, it'll never separate the family of God. It'll only pull them together. God doesn't do things in the body of Christ that separates them. When God is in something and God is doing something in somebody's life within the body, it doesn't separate people. It pulls them together. When it's of God, it will never put a child of God in a position to have to choose between one or the other. It never will. When it's of God, really, it will never cause strife in the body by making you pick one side versus the other. God doesn't work that way. Man works that way. When God does it, he pulls everybody together to do it because it's been established in the body. And everybody in the body knows what's happening. When man does it, it will always be done behind closed doors and will cause issues because God's not in it. 
It's never been established through the body. But the guy or the gal just wanted it, manipulated the Bible to be able to get it. Now you are forced into a situation to choose between friendship and the Bible. Because the verse says, a froward man showeth strife, and a whisper separateth chief friends. Now in my years of ministry, I have lost a lot of friends over this very principle. And it can be tough, let me assure you. Because you love them and you were their friend. But I follow my own, my own principles. And here's your last one, number nine. It brings us up to a total of $90 million. I never take it personal. I never let my love for my friends separate me from my love for the Word of God. And you can't either. The mark of you being a strong, established child of God is taking a stand even against somebody that may be or have been your friend when the Bible's clear on where you're at with it. That doesn't mean you do it nastily. It doesn't mean you do it mean. It just simply means you take your stand. Life is about the choices we make. You can take what you want. It's fine with me. I'll stay with the book. It's gotten me this far, all of it. It'll get me the rest of the way. Amen. You see, it's not me leaving you. It's you leaving the book that you claim to love and believe. And the Bible simply says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Funniest thing in the world to me, because when you get to this point, you lose your perspective. Funniest thing in the world to me is to have somebody want to do something on their own and now suddenly they're right, 300 people are wrong. That's the way it goes. But that's the delusion that a man or a woman gets into. That's what happens. If my standing by that book separates us, then let God be true and every man a liar. Because I have to stay with the book. I love you very much. I love you more than you'll probably ever know but I will never love you more than the book that I love, the Word of God. It's just that simple. And I love all of it, not just the part that works for me, because I developed an appetite, and I got a hungry soul for it. And my appetite has been developed to the place where it's the only thing I want to eat anymore. And when it comes to my book, you'll go your way and I'll go mine. No hard feelings. Now, it's these practical principles that will keep you in life and keep you focused. And remember, at the beginning, that was the number one thing that we talked about that you and I have to do, keep our focus. What I just gave you, why, if you would try to buy that kind of wisdom, it would cost you in excess of way over $90 million. But what I'd do if, if I were you, I'd take that kind of money and I'd put it in the bank. The treasury of my heart. I'd add these things to your mouth and to your lips by adding them to your faith. The bank of the great principles of God's word for the rest of your life to live off the interest. If somebody gave you a million dollars, a million dollars sounds like a lot of money. It really isn't a lot of money in the day that we live in today. The fool would spend it all 
and be gone and have nothing to show for it. The wise man would take it and make good investments and would never touch the principal and figure out a life that would be just living off the interest. That's what you do with the Bible. That's what you do with what I give you today. That's what I do with what I give you on Thursday night. I give you every time we're together. That's not just principles. They're cash coupons. You take them. And you take them and you put them in the bank of your heart. And this is what I'm talking about, that you'll never, 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 never have to work ever again in Christianity. You'll never have to work at solving a problem. You'll never have to work at dealing with an issue. You won't wear yourself out beating your head against the wall about some circumstance that you have to deal with. You know why? The principles are already in your heart. They'll do the work for you. They will tell you explicitly what you're to do and how you're to deal with it. You just follow the interest that you put in the bank. And it'll compound the order that you get. You put that million dollars in the bank, get 3 or 4% interest on it, in 20 years, you've got all kinds of money. You know what? You take that word of God week after week, hide it in your heart. After 10 or 15 years, you've got all kinds of spiritual principles. You've got God's wisdom and understanding by which you can make every decision in life by looking at it and seeing it from God's standpoint and never letting it happen to get involved with it ever again. You just sit back, look at the book, Look at the principles, allow what you put in your heart to do the work for you. Instead of you getting involved and getting your emotions in it, you just take the principles and follow what they say. Let the Bible do the work for you. That's what the Bible's for. That's what this church is all about. What I try to do, number one in my life and my goal, is to help you get to that point where you look at everything in life and see it. And Proverbs chapter 16 is an incredible chapter. It deals with so many issues that we all face about people who want to pretend they're doing what God wants them to do, who give the illusion like Jacob of bringing God into their deception. But the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, and not everything that appears to be right is always right. Well, we'll hold up there, and we'll be in Proverbs chapter 16, maybe finish up next week. Let's